grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> it's the wrong button. <laughs> How is everyone today? I hope you're trying. I hope you're keeping cool. If you're on the East Coast, you're probably keeping a lot more cool than I am. Boy, we hit 115 today. Oh, awful, 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 awful. You know what the funny thing is? You know, you always think of like Arizona being the hottest, or Death Valley, or someplace. We were at 115 today. Arizona, I'm talking um, Phoenix, was 108. So we beat Phoenix out today. Yikes. Well, at least it's going to start going down now. You know what this is? This is this is what I call the last heat up. Always around September, mid-September, we get one big lump of heat. And then once that lump goes, it starts to dissipate. The temperatures, we start we start slowly going back into spring weather, and then we go back down to fall weather. And this is where we're at. Like this week, we're going to hit, you know, the, this was the top right here was, was the 115. And now it's going to start tapering down. Next week we're set for mid to upper upper 80s. So I think I think that this was the last hurrah for the heat, but it's a killer. I'll tell you, especially with the drought going on. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I've got a great show tonight. Last night, um, you guys got to see they they you guys got to see Mr. Ollie talk about crystal skulls and stuff. That was pretty cool, right? Right. But uh, tonight I'm here live. Okay, so you can you can chit chat back at me instead of like last night. And uh, I love it. My father grew up in Cleveland. And uh, he used to tell me all kinds of stories about Lake Erie and, and, and the fact that there were, mon- there were monsters in Lake Erie. I don't know. Yeah, I was only like five or six. So who knows? He'd stand by the lake and go, yeah, there's monsters out there. Look out for them. But, uh, you know, when you, when you think about the expanse of the Great Lakes and how large they are and the fact that Canada is on the other side of these things, they're huge. It looks like you're looking out the ocean. They even have their own weather patterns. Okay, to give you an idea for people that have never been near the Great Lakes. You know, they even have their own weather patterns. So they're going to have their own legends. Just like, you know, you, like we had the gentleman on with the wrecks in the Great Lakes. You know, he talked about the Edmund Fitzgerald. He talked about all these other things. It's going to happen out there. The depths are like the ocean. And so to look, look through this lady's book, and I heard her on another show, and to hear her stories about it. It's about the different lakes. It's really cool because if you if if you've seen the Great Lakes, you, you can see why there could be something out there. If you've never seen the Great Lakes, let's just say they're huge. It's not like for the people here from California, it's not like Lake Tahoe. Okay, we're not talking Lake Tahoe size. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about something that's that's absolutely huge. And uh, so there's a possibility. Just like I believe in all that stuff, and I'll be talking to her about that tonight too. You know. Northern California, even we have trees everywhere. There's woods everywhere. So why not something surviving? All, you know, all these years, all these centuries, just like Loch Ness, right? Who knows how deep where the tunnels are going under Loch Ness, and then you got Nessie in there. It's like Tahoe, Tahoe for years, and I haven't heard a lot about it. We used to have our own Nessie in Tahoe, and they actually had a research crew that used to go out there. And I don't know if they go out there anymore, but they used to have a research crew going out there looking for our version of Nessie, right? 
Okay, anyway, I am the owner and uh, yeah, I'm the owner of the, <laughs> I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal need, you can find me at CaliforniaHaunts.org, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, or all over Facebook. And send me a message and I'll get back to you. You can even call me my phone number somewhere out there. You can even call me and we can get people out to help you. You know, what you have may not even be paranormal. That's our job is to go out and find out. Is it paranormal? Is it, you know, is it something paranormal or is it something else? Is it paranormal? Either way, we can help you out. But that's what we're here for. So check us out. And not only that, if you live in the states of Nevada, Oregon, Washington, or even Hawaii, we can get people out to help you. All right? So we're, we're, we're everywhere. But that's what we do. But this here, this is our radio show. This is our California Haunts radio show where we have really cool guests on, like my guests today. And if you go to our YouTube site, you will see that we have almost 400 shows over there that we've done, all on varying topics. It's not just paranormal. We just don't do paranormal. We do other stuff, like, like, like abuse and different things like that, different topics. All right? That's, I mean, I think if you go over there, there's something for everybody over there. All right? Um, if you're watching from Facebook right now, do me a favor and hit that follow button. Especially if you like what you see tonight. If you're watching from Twitter, same thing. If you're watching from TikTok, same thing. Now, if you look down at the bottom right-hand corner, which I can never get my direction straight, this bloody camera. Oh, there we go. Finally, look at that. Finally, look at that. I got the right place. There's a little ghost down there with... <laughs> I hope he's down there. I don't see it here, but yeah. Okay, let me see the directions again. <gasps> Look, I got the direction right today. The other day I couldn't find the direction. Okay, there's a little ghost <laughs> down there with a, a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on, and that is our mascot. And if you click on that dude right there, you will be subs- you will subscribe to our YouTube site. And like I said, there's a lot of videos over there. I think there's a little something for everybody. Let me adjust my hat. There's a little something for everybody over there. So check that out, okay? And plus, when we get new videos up, it'll alert you and let you know. Or once we get the stuff like lined up, like we did this week for StreamYard, we had six videos lined up. It's all over there, and you can check it out. All right. Another thing I do is I teach psychic development classes. So this Saturday, in fact, last Saturday, I taught a psychic development class one class, just a basic class for people to see how, there's, how their development was going, is going, to see if they even have psychic abilities. Taught that this last Saturday. This next Saturday now, we're going to take that a step more and find out what type of psychic you are. Um, Nancy Matz will tell you this. Not all psychics can do the same things. So what this next class teach, will teach you is what your abilities are. Are, 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 are you clairaudience? Are you clairsentient? You know, what type of psychic are you? So we have, I teach exercises and stuff so you can learn that. And that will be the next class. That's Saturday at 5 p.m. Pacific. All right. And the way to find that is go to California Haunts Meetup site, join the meetup. There's no charge to join the meetup. And all the information for the psychic development class is over there. So come on over there and check it out. Now, shifting gears. It's hot. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on with me. Look at this. I got this tonight, too. <sighs> there goes the makeup. Um, see, this is like me right here. See? Anyway, um, my guest tonight, we're going to be talking about Cryptozoology night. We're going to be talking about weird creatures. Yep, just like I started out blah blah about Great Lakes and all that. That's what we're going to be discussing. We even get to the Mothman. 
my guest has written a couple books on the topic, and uh, she's got a lot to say about it. So, if I don't botch her name, I'm going to try it. I tend to botch names, so I know you can hear me, so you can slap me when you're done on the screen and go, no, that's not the way it's said. But, but, but just give me a good slap. Sheeton Noor is going to be with us talking about Monsters of the Great Lakes, and uh, she's even done work with the Mothman and a lot of different other things. So let's bring her in and get the show on the road. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you. Huh. I hope the weather is better for you than it is for me. Actually, it's been wonderful the last few days here. Um, I'm in Michigan, so it has been in like mid 70s overcast. Oh, it's been so nice. It's uh, uh, what I call proper fall weather for Michigan. So um, it is going to go up to like 82 this weekend. But for the most part, I think we're done with the 90 degree weather and we'll probably just have highs of low 80s uh, for now till like mid-October and then it'll be 70, 60s and then it drops down into November. So uh, just wish the snow would hold off till like December 20th and then be gone by like January 5th. And then it would be fine. <laughs> I, I like my cooler temperatures, but I do not like the snow or the ice. Uh, so I, I like Michigan's four seasons, but that white stuff, um, it can go back up north for, for you know, the rest of the year. And then my father, like, like, like I, I say he lived in Ohio, he, he made me laugh because he would always say, he'd say, you know, what's nice about the snow and what's bad about the snow is it would always look good the first few days. <laughs> and then it would turn black. Yep. yep, that's, uh, that's you know, and, and it's like, okay, when you have, like, you know, just a light dusting of it, like the southern states do it, that's nothing. But when you get, like, feet of it, um, you know, last last winter was actually, um, we got a lot of snow. And so it was, it was hard enough just to walk from, like, the house out to your car um because you had to like shovel every other day for snow so uh that that stuff i i don't look forward to but um cooler weather where i'm not melting as i walk outside yes i i look forward to that there you go i do too believe me i'm so tired of this oh god and then we, we had the tree full in my backyard so right now this room that i'm in is where all the sun i mean the, the whole you know oh sinking in the west thing is all happening right now with the sun you know it's, it's, it's huh. sitting in the west yeah. it's all like on this room and it's like pressure cooker i feel like a crab in a pot i tell you <laughs> so tell me about you tell my tell my fans about you so uh my name is shatan noir you didn't do too badly i'm pronouncing it um uh, the the problem is some people put i in there and there's no eyes in there so i usually tell people to pronounce it she tan like she tans at the beach um, and that's just the easiest way, but, um, people who know me for a while will pronounce it Shatan, um, with a shot in there. So, uh, different pronunciations, um, it depends on your accent and, and, you know, uh, where, you know, where you are, um, in the country. So, um, but Shatan is, is fine. Um, but I am a cryptozoologist. So that means I go out and I look for creatures like Bigfoot. Mothman, Lake Monsters, Dogman, but I'm also a paranormal investigator, which means 
I go into haunted places that most people run out of screaming and uh, I, I go in there to see uh, what kind of uh, activities happening and see what um, experiences um, there are to be had there. I am also a author. I have written a couple of cryptozoology books, uh, Lake Monsters and Odd Creatures of the Midwest, uh, Mothman and Other Flying Creatures of uh, the Midwest. And then I have a children's book, which is Tegan or the uh, Marvelous Misadventures of Tegan Gray, Tegan Gray versus Bigfoot. So those are my. Those are my books. And then I also own the magazine publishing company of Squatch GQ Publications. Um, and right now there's four magazines in the company. Um, Squatch GQ, of course, being our headliner. And then there's Cryptozoology Digest, Into the Liminal Abyss Paranormal Magazine. And then there is also Dinosauria and Prehistoric Creatures Magazine. I will be adding a few more titles um, this fall. Um, one of the major ones that I will be uh, producing is Rock Hound and Prospector magazine, uh, which focuses on rock collecting, uh, metal prospecting, fossil collecting, stuff like that. Fantastic. And then I, I also um, I do presentations at libraries, paracons, uh, cryptozoology conventions, and I also teach uh, at two different community colleges. Um, courses on the paranormal history of the Great Lakes and cryptozoology of North America. That's awesome. How does one get into cryptozoology? So if, if um, I guess everybody has a different trip or, or adventure into the field. Mine started when I was about nine years old. And here in Michigan, a lot of families go camping um, during the summertime as their family vacations and this particular summer um, my family had decided that they wanted to try this campground called Crystal Lake Campground here in Michigan and two of the interesting things about the the campground was it got its name from the lake which was absolutely crystal clear but they also had an alligator in a dog kennel that was near the the registration check-in uh, convenience store and they would always tell the kid, yep, you know, we, we caught that out in the lake. So that summer, there was no swimming. There was no going out fishing. There was no going in a boat. I was just not having it. Um, so with that already on my mind, uh, one of the weekends that we um, had stayed there, they decided to show for family movie night the Patterson-Gimlin film and The Legend of Boggy Creek. And to a nine-year-old child at that time, that was just a little bit too much. So I spent like the next 45 minutes hiding in the women's bathroom and to, until two very nice elderly ladies um, talked to me and were like, no, we'll walk you back to your, your family's camper. And so after that, it was get every book I could find on the subject. And back then, your your like best resources for finding out more. This was before the age of internet was um, these little paperback chapter books that you would get. Um, I would, I would get them from the used bookstore and they had like Atlantis and Bigfoot and UFOs and uh, paranormal phenomenon and um, all within one book. So you were, you know, and then you would get hooked on that and you'd, like the umbrella term was new age. So anything new age was worth researching. 
and you got into like the uh, Edgar Casey books and Fate magazine. I, I remember having a subscription to that from the time I was 10 years old to the time that I was, um, gosh, I want to say 18 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just, you know, constantly researching, watching any paranormal shows um, that were on uh, TV. And like, you know, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, it's it's such a different world that we live in nowadays compared to the 80s because nowadays with all the streaming services you can watch whatever paranormal show you want on tv any cryptid shows um there's authors there's magazines there's so much on the internet and really all you have to do to research is now type in a few key words on the internet and you've got access to thousands of interviews and articles and you know, uh, different, you know, video content and, you know, investigating the the paranormal and the unusual is now like everybody's, you know, hobby and passion and everybody wants to do it. And so it's, you know, now is the, the time when I guess it's, it's good to be in this field because everybody has an interest in it. That's true. Because I remember when I, when I first started out 20, 20 plus years ago, it wasn't, you know, you didn't know who to talk to about it. Like when we first right. started investigating different places and they'd say, well, what are you doing here? And I'd say, well, we're kind of looking for ghosts. And they kind of look at you. <laughs> so you had to gauge people's reaction before you really said anything. Yeah, you know? it's, you know, and, and today is a different world. And to me now, it's unusual if somebody hasn't had a, you know, paranormal encounter or... Uh-huh seen a ufo or seen you know a a cryptid of some kind um to me that's normal now and people who deny it and you know just totally you know won't put any uh uh interest in it to me that's abnormal and it's like oh why would why would you want to be so vanilla and 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 plain you know and uh when we we know we have proof of of all of these different, you know, phenomenons happening, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's it's not really up for debate, but getting people's different experiences, that is, because that adds more pieces to the puzzle, and everybody will experience things differently and react differently, and, you know, when they encounter different things, so that is always of interest to me. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me about it. I know my father used to regale me with le- with legends of monsters and creepy things in the Great Lakes. Tell me about your, I mean, obviously you started with the alligator, which is cute. It's a great story. But talk about, I guess, it's good. whichever lake you think is going to be the more prominent. So the, the two lakes that actually, well, three lakes that actually have the most activity are... Superior, Huron, and Erie. Lake Michigan doesn't get a whole lot of activity. Um, it does have two giant turtle reports um, that go, you know, along the Michigan coastline of Lake Michigan. Uh, but really what's deadly in Lake Michigan is the riptides. That's what you have to look out for. And the, the weather, the storm uh, gale um, activity that comes screaming across there. 
But um, Lake Superior has Inabishu, the great underwater uh, panther, has Pressy, a, a sea serpent-type turtle creature, a giant sturgeon, um, a merman-type creature called uh, the great Manitou Nibbanimbus, the god of the lakes. Um, all of those have been reported from the Lake uh, Superior um, territory. Now, going down to Lake Erie, that is sea serpent territory. And that's what I get the most reports of in Lake Huron is sea serpents, ranging from anywhere to 8 feet to 88 feet, um, gray, black, purple, any drab, dark color, um, sometimes having fins, sometimes having gills, sometimes having whiskers or sails going down their back. So um, Lake Huron, it, it's better known for its sea serpents. Now, Pressy, or I mean, um, Lake Erie has uh, Bessie, has South Bay Bessie, has mm -hmm. the sea hag, um, plesiosaur reports, a couple of giant fish reports. And the funny thing about Lake Erie is it's actually the smallest of the Great Lakes. It's only at its deepest point, like 480 feet. But one of the most interesting phenomenons with that lake is that in recent times, I mean, pre-1940s to now, which is modern times, mm -hmm. there was a ship called the Bessemer Marquette Number no. 2. This ship was about the size and length of a football field. This ship was lost in a storm on Lake Erie. 480 feet is the deepest part of, of the lake. Mm -hmm. That ship is still missing to this day, and that was an all-metal ship. Wow. So when people ask me, how come we haven't found any sea serpents or lake monsters or anything like that? Well, if a ship that big, that's stationary, mm -hmm. can sink into the depths of Lake Erie and never be found again... A free-moving, free-swimming, living, breathing animal, uh, you expect them to just stay in one spot for us to come along and find? Uh, no, they're going to go where the food sources are. They're going to avoid sonar. They're going to avoid big boats or any boats that are making noises. Um, they're going to you know, avoid, to the best of their abilities, human activity because humans are a predator and most animals, most anything that um, have interacted with humans, you know, at all, know that uh, we are not exactly a catch and release society. And generally, you will end up on somebody's wall or somebody's dinner plate. So um, I think that the lake monsters, whether they are natural occurring, or they are Native American legend, or they are just um, you know, the early settlers making up what they presumed were, you know, in the lakes. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have done their best to avoid capture by human beings. And we've only gotten the brief glimpses of them throughout history. Now, here's a question. Because hearing about the different lakes and, and the different creatures in there, why do you think the legends are so different? Because, I mean, you'd think they'd be similar, you know, where would be sea serpents. So, like so... Each, each lake has a little bit different of a habitat. Lake Erie is prone to a very bad, very toxic um, algae bloom, um, spring through fall, and it gets quite big. So most 
like there's three quarters of the lake that you don't want to go fishing in. You don't want to swim in. You don't want to go anywhere near because of this algae bloom. And it kills a lot of the local fish populations. So anything that's going to live in Lake Erie has to be a very hardy animal. Now, Lake Ontario is a, a colder lake that actually has a lot of meteor deposits in it and has um, a lot of land formations in it. So the animals that you're going to find there um, probably not going to be the biggest of animals because they're going to use those land formations to their advantage to hide in, to uh, navigate around. Lake Superior is our, our deepest lake. And um, there's an old saying that Lake Superior never gives up its dead. And that is because it's over 1,400 feet deep. And the depths of Lake Superior are so icy cold that no bacteria forms. So no bloat, no float. So a lot of these sailors who went down with their ships, they're still down there. Um, and we have proof of that because you find um, there's well-documented human remains on most of the wrecks in Lake Superior. So anything that's going to live in that lake, even though it's one of the biggest, I think it's the third biggest freshwater lake in the world, mm -hmm. anything that's going to live in that lake has to be able to sustain or withstand very icy cold temperatures like Arctic temperatures. Um, Lake Huron is a very fast moving body of water. Um, it becomes the Detroit River at a certain point. And I think sea serpents do better in that lake because being streamlined, they can probably, you know, maneuver th through those faster currents um, easier and not wash downstream. And like I said, Lake Michigan, it's a beautiful lake, but it has the riptides. Um, and it also has, you know, the, the, um, the deadly um, uh, activity with the, um, the temperature changes. And, um, you, you know, even into October, you have to watch the lake because it can be 80 degrees out and be a beautiful day. And then as soon as the sun, you know, sets, if the winds pick up, that temperature can drop drastically. And that added to at least one huge storm back um, in the early 1900s, and that was the Alpena storm. Um, and it just, um, even though there's Alpena, Michigan on the Lake Huron side, uh, there was a, a side paddle boat named the Alpena that was wrecked in that storm. And that storm took 90 different boats to the bottom of Lake Michigan. And that was during a nice October day. Um, People were not prepared for the, the blizzard that came out of nowhere. And uh, those winds of November, those those gales of November, they are, honest to God, a real thing. Well, that's what people don't realize about the Great Lakes, though, if, if they've never seen, seen one or been to them. They don't realize that it's, they're so big, even the small ones. Yes. You know, they are, they are, you know what we call them is fresh land uh, or, or freshwater seas. Um, or inland seas. Um, really, if you're standing on the Michigan side of Lake Michigan, you cannot see the Illinois or Wisconsin side of Lake Michigan. Same thing with Lake Superior, Lake Huron, Lake Ontario, Lake Erie. You do not see the other sides of the lakes because they are huge. I mean, we're talking, we're talking lakes that are big enough to have these Laker freighters, um, 
and these ships are longer than a football field. So consider, you know, a, I, I think the biggest Laker currently on record is over a thousand feet. So when you have a ship that big that can navigate around these great lakes, that shows you not only the size of the ship, but the waters in which it is able to navigate and move around it. Well, these things also get white caps. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just that they generate their own weather. You know, the, you know, the weather patterns come over. It's like it's like the ocean. Oh yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't take much. Um, a couple of summer summers ago, I was traveling around the Keweenaw Peninsula of Upper Michigan. And I had started the morning out with the, with the rising of the sun, gotten my baked goods and had my little uh, miniature pincher with me. And we were traveling around the coast of the Keweenaw Peninsula. And so I had stopped at a little roadside park and we had our, our breakfast and was watching the lake. And it was beautiful and decided, you know, wanted to finish going around and about half an hour later, when I came along the next open part of the shoreline, well, the wave activity had picked up and it went from very calmly rolling into the shoreline to now there was about a 15 inch, you know, wave chopping mm -hmm. and I knew a storm was coming and something kept telling me get out of this peninsula. So I quickly headed back down um, and uh, got out of the Keweenaw Peninsula, got into Munsing, and then made my way down to the Mackinac um, Bridge. And by that afternoon, the rain was coming down so hard there that the local college, MIT, uh, the water was level with their bottom windows. And the storm came in and was washing out roads and bridges and the Keweenaw Peninsula is a lot of copper mines. So the water, of course, was just coming down and soaking into the ground and tunneling out somewhere else. So, um, you know, luckily my instincts were good. And I got across the, the Mackinac Bridge and into the lower portion of the state before the storm uh, took over the rest of the UP. But it was really interesting to watch how Lake Superior went from so calm and very gentle to becoming more and more agitated. And the, the further I drew, drove around the Keweenaw Peninsula coastline, the more the, the wave activity was picking up. And when it started white capping and frothing into the shoreline, it was like, nope, it's time. There's something coming. I got to get out of here. So it's, uh, and, and when you think, you know, that's just a minimum wave, these freighters that got, uh, would go out there, they were being hit by 20, 30-foot waves. Mm -hmm. And really in a, you know, tooth and claw battle just to hold anchor or to keep their engines or steam rooms maintained and to try to make it into a port. So um, it, it does not um, surprise me how many shipwrecks we have on, on the Great Lakes and um, just because they um, they pretty much have their own weather systems and they have a personality of their own and you have to respect that. Absolutely, absolutely. When you talk about the legends of these creatures, you know, these monsters on the Great Lakes, it, 
were they first brought was it first brought up by Native American lore or, or was it the guys yes. that were sailing on the lakes? So um, with Native American lore, we have creatures like Inabishu, the great underwater panther, Carcagna, who is kind of like a lake dragon, Onir, who is supposed to be a weather um, spirit or a demon, depends on who you talk to. Um, there's a creature called Gassendia, um, who is a meteor dragon that flies around. Um, and all these come from the Native American legends. Um, Seneca, Ojibwe, Algonquin, um, Chippewa, um, all around the, the, the Great Lakes. Each Native American you know, tribe had a different but similar name for each one of these creatures. Now, when the European settlers came over, Obviously, when they got to the Great Lakes, they assumed that anything that they had seen in the oceans while, you know, traveling across um, or along the East Coast would probably be living here in the Great Lakes because they didn't have it mapped out where they knew where all the different water came from and went to and the, the water passageways. So to them, anything was possible in the Great Lakes. So... Um, we get the, the reports of, you know, the sea serpents. Was it really a giant sea serpent or was it a log floating in the water that these animals just not expecting to see? Or was it a line of lake sturgeon um, swimming together along the surface? Was it a giant eel that, you know, we might not have here in the Great Lakes anymore? Was it, you know, a giant um, a carp or something like that? Were they seeing a plesiosaur type? You know, we certainly know that there were waterways from prehistoric times that went into the Great Lakes during the time of plesiosaurs and the, the true giant reptiles of, of history. They could have easily gotten access to the Great Lakes area. And, you know, is there still a population of them breeding and living in the Great Lakes now? Um, we, you know, have not been able to determine that Um and really, the Great Lakes are never going to be drained enough that anybody would ever be able to, like, get a, a absolute, you know, navigation of the bottom of the lakes because um, they are hundreds of feet deep. And they, um, every year, the, the shoreline um, gets eaten up a little bit more by the Great mm -hmm. Lakes. They, they, they have actually expanded in the last 10 years instead of... Um, you know, having any drought or anything like that where it might uh, burn off some of that, uh, you know, liquid uh, landscape. Um, no, they've actually gotten bigger. Are there caves underneath these lakes too? That is a very good question. And it's been theorized that there may be underwater caves. Um, the problem is that here in the Great Lakes area, we have a invasive species. We have several, but we have one called the zebra mussel, and when these things die, they actually take on the consistency of, like, wet toilet paper. And so on the bottom of all the Great Lakes, there is about two feet of just this debris of zebra mussels. Mm -hmm. And it's so much so that shipwrecks that you used to be able to scuba dive um, to and, and be able to see very, very well, they are becoming lost in this this you know organic debris and you can't really detect them um once they're shrouded in this stuff so 
I would say 40 years ago, if we had the technology and the ability, you probably could have found the caves. Now, with all the zebra mussels and, and uh, the debris that they create when they um, they die, it's, it just covers everything, and you can't really actually get a good image of the bottom of the lake, any of the lakes, because of those. Okay, okay. I find that interesting because we, we, we also have muscle issues. I don't remember if the zebra muscles or what they are, but I know they're real fussy about boats going into our lakes out here. You know, they have to have yeah. a safety check before they go in. Yeah, and the problem is here in the Great Lakes, we get um, we have freighters um, that come from international waters. That's right. where the zebra mussels attach from. They get into the the Great Lakes, and this is you know a prime habitat for them. It seems, and they um, they have become more and more an issue in the Great Lakes. Absolutely, I can imagine. I can only imagine what's going on out there uh, when people. Uh, when, when you get reports of, of, of these creatures, what I don't want to like knock anybody down for doing it because I'm a ghost investigator, you know, and I was like, what types of people are reporting this stuff? Is, is it the guys working on the lakes? Is it, is it vacationers? Who's, who's reporting this? So, it, you know, it, it varies because nobody, um, unless you're on vacation, um, sits and stares at the lake all day. Mm -hmm. We just don't do it. Um, and really, you know, a, a aquatic species only has to come far enough to the surface that their nostrils break the surface of the water so that they can breathe and then they can dive back down. And so anybody who's ever, um, you know, watched turtles, turtles are, are cool until they see that the, you're there and then they dive quickly under the water and they're gone and they only have to come up to you know sun themselves and bask if it's you know that a particular species that does that or to just get you know some air and a lot of people think oh it's going to stick its head out of the water well not realistically there's no need for it to do that um that's actually an odd behavior for any species to do is to stick their heads out of the water um, in these depictions that I see of plesiosaurs that they have where they have the swan neck coming up out of the water, that's really not how their necks worked. Their necks had more of a serpentine movement, a side-by-side -side movement, and that allowed their, their big, huge bodies with a 20-foot-long neck and a small watermelon-sized head, that allows you to get up close to your prey, grab a couple of fish, bite them, and then leisurely eat them. Whereas if you have that big body and you're trying to come at them, you either need speed and maneuverability or you need to be stealthy. And that, you know, mosasaurs, yeah, they have the speed and, and maneuverability. Plesiosaurs, they did more of the stealth thing. So we would never actually see a plesiosaur doing that swan neck where the, you know, it raises up out of the water and and looks like a swan basically uh that's not how their necks worked um and so really you you'd have to be staring at like the whole lake all day long and these lakes are huge it would be virtually impossible to watch the whole lake the surface of the lake all day long to see if something came to the surface and broke the surface to get a breath of air and that's only if they're air breathers if they are aquatic if they're like fish 
then they're not necessarily going to come to the surface. So we, you know, I have found reports from ship captains, from Native Americans, from people driving along the lake, from people day boating, pleasure boating, people fishing. You know, it, it just depends on uh, the location and, you know, if there's people actually in the area to report it. The other thing that, that, that strikes me, too, is other than, like, whales or maybe dolphins, a lot of those things aren't going to want to come near a boat that has a motor on it. Right, right. Yeah, and unless you're you're offering up a smorgasbord with, you know, like chumming or stuff like that that they do with mm-hmm. sharks, most species are not going to come towards a boat. Mm-hmm. You might see one if you're kayaking or, or canoeing, um, but as soon as you start making a weird noise or they detect, you know, that, that, that is something unnatural for them, they're gone. And, you know, there's really, when you're in a lake, uh, there's really no barriers to like, you know, um, navigate around, um, unless it's, you know, uh, a land formation and they know the land formations underwater better than we will ever know them. So it's, it's just a, a, you know, I hate to say a game of cat and mouse, but really it's, it's a game of lake monster and human. Mm-hmm. And the reports, let me ask you, um, is, are there certain times of year where the reports are more frequent than they are other times of year? So most of, naturally with the Great Lakes, most of your reports come during the spring, summer, fall, um, because not a lot of people go near the Great Lakes when it's wintertime. Um mm-hmm particularly because even though the middle of the lake might freeze up and mm-hmm. the the big freighters might plow through and break it up, most of those freighters are off the lakes by late November. They don't really go back onto the lakes until late March um, just because they get trapped in the ice and it's not worth it for the insurance companies. So a lot of these ships, they just, uh, they, they go into the port and they dock. So nobody really wants to go out on the Great Lakes during the wintertime. And particularly because even though the middle of the lake might freeze, along the lake shores, we have a phenomenon where they call it ice boulders. And it's these huge round clumps of ice that form by the ice battering into the lake shores. And essentially, you have a 10-foot gap in between like the ice sheet and the actual shoreline of this battering ram of ice boulders and you don't want to get caught in that mm-hmm. um you know that that is like having uh uh bowling balls launched at you um and not being able to navigate around them wow wow so something could literally be you know hiding and really nobody like you say they're only going to see the little glimpse of it if, if that because i mean it's just yeah. so vast there's so many ways they can hide especially oh, with yeah. the weather you know weather works with them and stuff and they can stay hidden yeah and if you know if they are a cold climate water creature mm-hmm. then they know how to hibernate they know you know um how to deal with this weather so you know even in um the lower part of ohio along the ohio river people will say oh there's not alligators in there every winter we see photographs of ice fishermen who are like, hey, look, alligator snout. And literally there's an alligator snout sticking up out of the ice. As long as they can breathe, they can shut down their heartbeats to 
a couple of beats per minute. Hmm. They go into a, a process called, uh, 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 instead of hibernation, it's uh, uh, bromination. And they can literally shut down their heart beat and their metabolism so that they can adapt to that cold weather. And as long as they can breathe, they can live. And then once the warm water water starts, you know, flowing through right. the and the ice starts melting, they are free and they, they go on their merry way. But yeah, um, I, I, I've come to the point in my life where it's, it's not if they exist, it's when is somebody going to see them and have a, have a, a eyewitness sighting and make a report. That's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating. Let's talk about, you mentioned a merman. Let's yes. talk about that a little bit. Tell me about the merman. So the merman of Lake Superior, mm -hmm. uh, the great Manitou Nibanibis, um, he is, um, that's a Native American um, word. Uh, Manitou always means spirit or, or God. And the, the great Manitou, um, Nibanibis, is the story that I have of him comes from the Pie Island area of Lake Superior, which is, I believe, over on the Canadian side. And he is described as being about the size of a four-foot child, having the upper body of a male human, but he's covered in a fine brown hair, but very human-looking face. And the bottom half of him is very, very fish-like. And it's said that if you see him and he acknowledges you, then don't go out on the lakes because he will send a storm to drown you. And such is the case of, of the story that um, is correspondent with him. There was a Native American woman traveling around with French fur traders and they stopped on Pie Island to rest for a couple of days. Well, one of the men saw the great Manitou Nibanibis out in the water and grabbed his gun because he thought it was a giant beaver and was going to shoot him. She, of course, stops him and they're arguing about it. And as all the men realize that this creature is out there, the creature raises up in the water and waves at them. And they're all like, hmm, that is uh, not a beaver. And she's like, no, really? It's it, I was telling you it's not a beaver. And she said, we got to get into the middle of the island as fast as we can because he's going to send the storm. And the men were like, whatever. Um, so she hurried into the middle of the island, started building a structure. The men finished securing you know, the canoes, um, mm -hmm. setting up traps and stuff like that. Nibanibus was gone under the water, disappeared. And suddenly the men realized that the sky all around the island was black and the winds were blowing straight at the island from all directions, north, east, south, west, mm -hmm. all blowing directly into the island. And they thought, well, you know, that was kind of odd that the creature waved at us. Maybe we should listen to her. So they went into the middle of the island. They found the Native American woman, helped her finish building the, the shelter, and then for the next three days and three nights, a storm like none of them had ever seen before rained down on the island to the point where the men were pretty sure that they would be washed off the island. Mm -hmm. And on the fourth day, the sun came back out, the water was calm, and the winds were, were very light. And she said, now, 
if you ever see that creature again, you're going to ignore it, right? And all the men agreed with her, yes, we will ignore that creature. And this report was actually um, the trading company that it happened to. They actually went in front of the king's bench and in front of a judge magistrate and reported this incident um, because they wanted other people to be aware that if you see this creature, you should avoid it because of what you know he can do weather-wise and water-wise with the lake. And so it's actually a, a report that is um, documented in the Canadian um, uh, justice system. Wow. So how many, to, how many reports of that have there been? Just the one or, or have there been more? Yeah, just, just, just the one. Um, but there's been Native American legend of it for many, many centuries. Um, it's part of their written, in, or not written, but spoken traditions. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm sure other people probably have seen it and just assumed that it was a child or a young adult swimming in the water. And mm -hmm. seeing as we don't have sharks or anything like that, probably thought, oh, you know, they're, they're probably just swimming and um, their parents are nearby and just went about their business. You know, when you talk about being covered in fur and you know, adapting, I just watched Jurassic Park Dominion. And yes. when we were growing up, we were taught all the dinosaurs were like reptiles. That they all they were mm -hmm. were like reptile skin. You know, and in, in, in Dominion, they all have a fur on there or feathers. Feathers, yep. Um, uh, feathers. Watching this because I thought, oh my God, they've all got, you know, covering on the movie and then when you no, talk about not all of them do not not all of them do um because i saw that one too so you've got sure. your avian and you've got your non-avian dinosaurs and your raptors and your t-rexes are avian dinosaurs so they actually do get that those very fine feathers but things like your carnotaurus who is also a big eater um one of my favorite of of the um uh, carnivorous dinosaurs um, doesn't have any um, of those feathers. Um, things like Triceratops, Brontosaurus, Stegosaurus um, do not have any feathers. So, but you know, the the fossil record as Earth continues, there will always be new species that are added to the fossil record. Um, unfortunately, nothing lives forever, and you know, in in a in 500 years, we might not have bears, we might might, might not have sharks, we might not have elephants, we might not have tigers, um, and you know that's a really sad thought. But these species, you know, will then be, if there's still humans on Earth, they will be, you know, their remains will be preserved right alongside the dinosaurs um, in museums and. Uh, the only breeding populations will be in zoos. And that's a really sad thought that, you know, modern day species that we could protect and preserve are just as likely to become extinct during our lifetimes because of humans as, you know, the dinosaurs that we go to museums to see. And um, so it's, it's, and plus there's new fossilized species found every day, everything from little, trilobites and and brachiopods all the way up to the big you know um uh dinosaurs like you know your your um, sauropods and your um t-rexes and stuff like that 
we're always finding new species. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the sighting for the for these creatures in the lakes. Uh, are people seeing them from shore at all, or is it just people out? You know, the, the it, it's, it's, a, it's a mix. Um, some people have shore, you know, sightings from the shore. Um, some people are out in boats and have the sightings, and it it just depends on where you're located at. Um, you know, every time I drive across the Mackinac Bridge, I'm like, eh, I can't look over the side because I'd really like to see that lake monster, but I am on a five-mile-long bridge, so I have to pay attention. Um, but, you know, and and the, the Great Lakes are not crystal clear. So after about five feet deep, everything turns, you know, cloudy. So it would have to be breaking the water or something up on the surface for people to see it. And um, even at a distance, you know, you're, you're only going to get a few minutes glimpse of it before it dives back down into the water. So um, it's a mix, you know, people see them from on boats, but they also see them from the shoreline. Why do you think there's so, there's so many uh, sighting reports over the years? Is it because people are actually seeing, or in your, in your opinion, people are actually seeing something, or is it because, you know, like with ghost hunting, you know, you try to interview people separately because you want to get the story separate. Right. You think they might be talking to each other and spreading the word about these things, and so that's how the so, story So a lot of the reports come from what I call the pre-P.T. Barnum uh, era, with P.T. Barnum being the creator of the Fiji mermaid and carnivals and stuff like that. So Anything before the time of, you know, the era of P.T. Barnum, I give a lot of stock to because these, you know, people who are making the reports were generally making them, you know, the reports to local authorities. And the only reason they were making the reports is they were in fear of their livelihood, their families, their community, and they wanted people to be aware of these creatures that were out in the lakes. So... A lot of the reports come from the, you know, even the earliest, you know, um, boats on the lakes, you know, of, you know, going back into the 1700s, 1800s, up into the 1900s. Um, our, you know, reports, you know, span, you know, the history of, of many centuries. And it's just a fact of people saw things that they could not explain. And reported it to somebody, and that is where we get our reports from. Now, inland lakes, um, Wisconsin's pretty notorious for each big lake has a lake monster, and that is part of the tourist industry, um, which was established way back in the 1800s. And if you had a lake monster, people would come because people wanted to catch it because they wanted to get into the newspaper. But this was also the time of P.T. Barnum and the traveling circuses. And so if you had something to make a dollar on, well, you made a dollar on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just find this I just find this inter completely interesting because, like I said, even up here at Lake Tahoe, there's, one, so there's something supposedly up here in you know, my neck of the woods that they've never found, you know, that, that they claim was there, but they never quite found the right. evidence. Right. And it just interests me in that, like you say, Wisconsin... Almost every every lake has has a rumor of something being in there, yep. and I mean, like you say, is that you know because the history? But is that because people 
have made i mean do you think that some of the stories are made up that's my question do you think it's because because you say tourism is really big so you think that maybe because such and such lake in this let's, let's say you know you live in one place in wisconsin this other lake's got got uh, supposedly got something in it so the tourists are coming so now you're thinking oh, so, so there else. are some big lakes like lake pippin there is um peppy um who's supposed to be a plesiosaur type creature and there's been different evidence collected over the years that suggests that, yes, this creature is very real. But in the, the heyday of the Lake Monster reports in, in Wisconsin, what would happen is come spring, you'd have a town with a lake nearby and somebody would report to the local newspapers, oh, we have a lake monster in our lake. And everybody would flock to, that, to those local towns and that lake to try to see the lake monster couple of months maybe even a month would go by and all of a sudden about 50 miles away at another big lake the same creature was being reported and so everybody would flock to that lake and it just became a a you know uh our lake monster is is better than your lake monster type thing um to draw in the tourist dollars and it became very sustainable for wisconsin and you know they are the land of lakes so um, you know, it, it's definitely uh, worked in their favor, but you know, some of these reports also go back to Native American legends and um, you know, of creatures in the lakes. Um, Devil's Lake, I believe, is the one that has both a plesiosaur type creature and a octopus type creature that's reported um, being being there. Um, and it's um, supposedly got a a pyramid in the bottom of it. So. You know, there's, uh, you know, until people scientifically approach this and start to, to go out and research it and look into it, um, you know, all you have is the, the legends, the myths, and the stories that, you know, and uh, reports that people have made over the years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's a thought, too. Like you say, they really haven't been able to scan the bottoms of these lakes. Could no. they all have, like, like, like I'm saying, there's the possibility that there could be, like I said, tunnels, but not only that, but intersecting tunnels to where these different creatures can go to different lakes, too, you know, where they're going back and forth. Yeah, yeah and that, that's, that is always a, a possibility, but if, if that were the case, you'd probably be looking at smaller, longer-bodied creatures that can navigate through tunnels like that, so... You know, if there were plesiosaurs in the lake, they would probably be dolphin-sized. You know, no bigger than than ten foot long, and probably no thicker than three or four feet, because you would have to have that maneuverability to get through the lakes and um, in the tunnels. If they are there, um, you you wouldn't be looking at a huge, gigantic creature. Mm -hmm. So it would have to be smaller, but. Certainly, I know that here in the Great Lakes area, they would have enough food. Um, we've got a great salmon population, trout, bass, perch, bluegill. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different fish species for them to feast on. So, um, you know, they're the Schrodinger's cat of the, of the cryptid world. You can't prove that they're there, but you can't disprove that they're there. True, true, true. Now, as an investigator or researcher into this, do you find yourself walking around the shores with binoculars or, or anything like that when you're out looking for them, or, or do you, or do you not go out looking for them? I find that sitting on the shoreline is, you know, a 
about as good as you can get. Um, because I don't own a yacht. I don't own a fishing boat. I have kayaks um, that I'll take out. But really, you're not going to see anything long distance from um, on top of the water in a kayak. So, you know, sitting up on a sand dune, um, Lake Michigan, all of our lakes have lots of dunes around them. So sitting up there and watching, you know, I, I don't see any problem spending half an hour here, half an hour there, watching out over the water, looking. Um, but like I said, it, you, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And anybody who's been to our Great Lakes knows that if it's a, a sandwich, um, you know, you've, you've got shells and rocks to look for. But if it's a rocky beach, you're either looking for euphorites or fossils or Leland Blue, um, any of that. So most of the time you're staring down at the, at the, the beach and you're not looking out over the water. So um, I, I do try to watch out on the water, but I like to do my rock hunting also. So There you go. There you go. Has anybody been able to snap a picture of, of anything they thought was a creature? So I can answer that question. Yes, in Lake Champlain. No, on the Great Lakes. Um, in Lake Champlain, the best cryptid evidence ever was captured by Sandra Mancy with Champ, um, the Lake Champlain monster. Um, it is well-preserved at the Echo um, Center in Burlington, Vermont. It's a half aquarium, half science museum, um, but they do have a exhibit for Champ, and they have the Sandra Mancy photo um, under a glass, you know, contained in a glass display case. Um, so I say that is the best, um, other than the Patterson-Gimlin film, that is the best evidence that anybody has ever photographed of a cryptid creature um, that they have not been able to disprove. Okay, okay. I think it's kind of like with Bigfoot, you know, and, and, and the Mothman and all that. Until it's a physical body, it's just going to be hard to prove or disprove any of that stuff. Right, right. And then, you, you know, you have to, you know... Um, they have to DNA test everything to find out what it is um, because you just can't go on the remains because by the time a human happens upon it, everything in the, in the woods or water has nibbled on it, chewed on it, ate on it. And, you know, look at the globsters that wash ashore and it's actually a, a you know, what used to be a huge shark or whale. And now you've just got this weird looking thing that, you don't know what it is, but they DNA test it and they, oh, okay, it's a whale. And so, um, you know, there's no telling what washes up on shores that humans don't have access to that we, we will never know. Or what dies in the forest and every, you know, animal in existence comes and chews on it and takes a part of it. And there's nothing left of it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What's next for you? Um, so I will be doing the Bigfoot and Brews conference this weekend. Um, it's um, in honor of the Dewey Lake Monster here in uh, Michigan. Um, it's down in Dewaganak, Michigan at the Sisters Brewery. And next weekend I will be going to Pennsylvania for the Jefferson County um, Bigfoot and Paranormal Conference um, or Festival that's in uh, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Fantastic. How can people find you? 
Um, you can find me on Facebook um, if you are um, interested in connecting with me or just want to be a fan. Um, I'm on Facebook and my books and magazines you can find on Amazon uh, if you type in Shatan Noir or Squatch GQ magazine. That will bring up all of the books and magazines that I have written and produced that are currently available. Fantastic. What do you have to say to somebody that wants to get into cryptozoology? Keep an open mind and be willing to go to places that um, are outside of your comfort zone. So you're, you know, it's possible to see Bigfoot or Dogman or Mothman as you're driving around on back roads, but you'd probably have a better chance hiking through the woods. And so it gives you a push to get out into nature, to get some exercise, get some adventure. Um, for lake cryptids, a, a, any shoreline is, is a good shoreline to sit and watch for, for uh, something to uh, emerge out of the water. So um, it's just a patience game, and you just have to uh, get out there and put your time into the woods, put your time onto the lakeshore, and just be willing to go out there with your eyes open, your ears open, and your mouth shut. Because, you know, if you make a lot of noise, they will run. Um, good sense of smell helps, too, because sometimes, you know, Bigfoot smells like skunk. Also, mm -hmm. skunks smell like skunk, so you don't want to get sprayed by one of those. Um, and just, you know, be willing to go out there and, you know, take those steps onto the trail and go looking for it. Fantastic. I want to thank you for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. I learned, it was so fun talking to you. I learned so oh, much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Love to get you on again at a later date and talk more. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, so I am always available. There's just so much to talk about. All right. Oh, well, yeah. you, have a, you have a great rest of the evening, okay? You too. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was pretty cool what about those lake monsters. That's pretty awesome. And I agree, something could be living in there forever, like I said earlier in the show, because those lakes are so deep. They're so deep, and they've been there for so long. And who knows how much water really covered covered the earth enough to, you know, keep these things there, you know, because you see a lot of theories about it. All right, once again, Saturday, I'm going to be teaching Psychic Development Class 2, 5 p.m. Pacific. That's through the California Haunts Meetup. Just Google us, uh, California Haunts Paranormal paranormal investigation team meetup and you'll find us there all right tomorrow my guest is emily carding she's from england and she's going to be talking about fairy folk now this is a pre-recorded interview like last night's was so i will not it will not be a live interview but i encourage you to watch this if, if you want to learn about fairy folk because she has a lot of good information about fairy folk and i will be available in the chat if you guys want to chat you know while, while it's airing but that will be a pre that will be a pre-recorded interview starting at 6:30 p.m. tomorrow Pacific, so you guys can check that out. It'll be over on YouTube. I'll get the teaser up on the, the teaser up for you guys later on tonight and uh, get things ready so you can prepare yourselves to watch it on YouTube. All right, but I want to thank you all for coming. And if if you, if you know the people that are watching the show right now, if you're watching from Facebook, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from YouTube, please uh, hit well snaps click. On the little ghost at the bottom right hand corner. Let's see if I can hit it again. Wow, that's twice tonight. Look at that. And the bottom right hand corner with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. 
and uh, that'll make you make you a subscriber because we have a lot of videos coming out. We're going to be doing some how-to videos. I'm going to, I'm going to be reviewing paranormal equipment. So that's coming out. So we have a lot of stuff coming out. If you're watching from TikTok, hit that follow button. If you're watching from Twitter, hit that you know hit that button. Just keep hitting the button, all right? And if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, it's a good way to get even with your enemies if it's a, if it's a crappy show, right? That's that's how that's how we function here. But anyway, you see that uh, tick that that ticker at the bottom. That's because California Haunts takes no money to investigate. We work off donations as a team. And, uh, and anything you can do to help us out is great because since I'm since I own the team, it all comes out of my pocket. So if a computer breaks or something else breaks, or even if a piece, piece of equipment breaks for the paranormal group, I have to come up with the money to fix everything. Just like like anything else, I have I have internet bills and and streamyard bills and everything to produce the show. And if you can help me out a little bit with that, I'd appreciate it. That's PayPal.me at California Haunts. Or if you don't like PayPal, I have a Venmo. You just go into Venmo and type in California Haunts. I would really appreciate it because I love doing this show and I want to keep bringing guests like the one we had on tonight to talk about cryptids and, and different things, okay? But I really appreciate all the support you've given me. Our numbers are still running high. I really appreciate it. I can see this growing. It's, it's, it's been a labor of love for everybody who's passing on the information about this show. All right? But I want to thank you all. And... Technically, I will see you tomorrow at 6.30, even though it's, it's pre-recorded, but I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 because I will be in the chat room. But uh, the day after that, just to give you a heads up, our good friend Heather Woodward is going to be back, and she's going to be talking about Erie, Oklahoma. She has a, a new book out about Oklahoma. She, she moved back there, so she um, has written a book about it as well. Anyway, I will see you again. I'm going to go ahead and uh, put the book information out for our guest tonight. And let me get over there and get that. Where am I? Okay, that one. Too many buttons. And that way you can go find these books at Amazon. Okay, here we go. And the first book is... I can't even read this thing. That's how blind I am. Lake Monsters and Odd Creatures of the Great Lakes. There we go. And then we got The Mysterious Misadventures of Tegan Gray. And then Mothman and Other Flying Creatures of the Midwest. And those are available at Amazon. All right. Okay, and once again, I will see you officially live on Thursday. Is it Thursday? Yeah, boy, the week's going fast. I'll see you officially live on Thursday, but I will be in the chat room tomorrow. So be looking for that to come up on Facebook in about maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and we'll get that information for you where you can find the video tomorrow on YouTube. All right, I will see you and have a good evening.